Welcome to the Com Surgery Podcast Edition, hosted by Christine Townsend. I want to welcome everyone who's coming in. Um, thank you for joining us. I want to make sure that we can all chat as well. Uh, let's see. Make sure we've got that on. Learned the hard way. Um, welcome, everyone. I'm going to get started. My name is Christine Townsend. For those of you who don't know me, I am the founder of PIO Toolkit, ex sort myself. I've uh, been doing it for 20 years, and that's why I want to do this, because I really believe in empowering and uplifting people who work in our world. So... Um, Com surgery, my favorite time of the month. Um, we've had quite a few now, so um, but that doesn't mean this one isn't going to be even better than the last ones. I'm really, really excited to have my guest here. We're waiting on one, but I imagine she's dealing with something such as our world. Uh, she, she will show up hopefully soon, but um, I'm so thrilled to have Kendra Loney uh, from the, uh, well, she's a public information officer at Nashville Fire Department um, and Metro Nashville Office of Emergency Management. And we have Matt Fajana, public information officer, retired um, and law enforcement trainer for FBI leader. So um, I just want to thank you both uh, for joining us. And um, perhaps Kendra, if you'd like to start off by introducing yourself. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, as Christine said, I am the public information officer for Nashville Fire Department and the Nashville Office of Emergency Management. I have been uh, in this role for almost five years. And before I uh, matriculated into this role, I worked for the fire department in the capacity of a fire inspector in the fire marshal's office. So um, it's helped me a little bit with um, knowing how to show up on scenes and do a little bit more uh, of digging into what we're looking at in the fire world. But I like to tell people that on a really, really bad day for Nashville, uh, disaster-wide, whether that's a man-made issue or Mother Nature is uh, really upset with us, uh, I'm doing comms kind of for the city uh, from the Office of Emergency Management perspective. But other than that, just on a, a regular day, doing more along the lines of things for the fire department. So it's been a great ride. We've had lots of things happening in Nashville to keep us busy and uh, really uh, edging into the crisis comms world. I like to say I'm a crisis comms girly. Um, so that's what I have learned to love to do. And uh, thanks for having me. I'm interested to uh, join into this conversation with you guys and glad to be here. Thank you, Kendra. And I just want to acknowledge Kelly's um, comment there about um, what's happening in Maine right now. We don't want to dwell on it, but I just do want to acknowledge that. And there may be some things that come up that um, we'll touch upon that during our session. But um, without further ado, also, uh, Matt, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, yeah. Thanks, Christine, for having us. Um, I think it's funny how you have to introduce yourself to people because to me, you're just so well known in this industry. Uh, thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Uh, Matt Fagiana, I am a Tennessee native uh, living in Colorado right now. Uh, I was a law enforcement officer in, in law enforcement leadership for 22 years uh, before retiring last year. Um, uh, last year, I started teaching with FBI LIDA. Uh, I teach their uh, master PIO and their media and public relations courses. Um, so it's been a really neat opportunity for me to take, one, my passion for law enforcement and communications uh, and, and to get to travel around the country and really see people that are just eager, that are sponges, uh, that are um, eager for that information on, on how we prepare. Um, how do we blend with our communities better? How do we reach out to our target audiences? Um, how do we show the human side of law enforcement? So I uh, never expected to find myself where I am, um, and but it's been a great opportunity. And uh, yeah, just glad to be here. 
Thank you, Matt. I don't think any PIO expects to be where they are right now. Um, I certainly didn't know what I was going to end up doing when I first uh, started in this role many years ago, aging myself. But um, I think that's the great excitement about the role and what you can do and what you might experience because you, as though things are predictable, the world is not, and uh, you just can never you can never make it up um well you, <laughs> maybe you couldn't and it will predict it come true but anyway so thank you um i'm i've got loads of questions actually um and from practical to sort of ethical and what have you experiential but um i just want to kind of start off with the practical stuff because i, I always get asked um you know what would you do what's your advice for a first time pio who's never done anything um and kendra i just want to you know i've seen you at nioa and i think people recognize both of you from nioa can it um, conference in Nashville. Kendra, you spoke and Matt, you were there with FBI leader. So uh, if you recognize these faces and you were there, um, that that's who they are. Um, but you, I remember a certain thing you were talking about in your presentation. I'm not going to give it away, but um, what do you think when, um, what, what do you always keep with you? What's your, in your, your kit bag or your go bag or, or you know, if it's an emotional kit bag or physical kit bag? Well, you know, one thing now that I've learned to always kind of carry with me, um, and I try to have it always, is a, a portable charger, honestly. Um, I have a variation of those chargers, um, but they save my life, literally. Um, and as a communication specialist, because we're always on our devices, I honestly, if I showed you how many phones I have right now, you guys would be like, what in the world? But I literally have three cell phones um, because when I'm on an incident, I'm, I'm usually having to talk to one and I have my AirPods in and I'm talking on that one. And then I have one that I'm actually either creating content from, recording and sending that out. And then sometimes I keep a spare one that I can actually like set up on a tripod somewhere. And that one is literally just recording, just recording so I can pull footage from. But at some point, those devices are going to die. And um, with a portable charger, I always have it. They carry um, charges great and I can just pull it plug plug all of my devices in and keep going um I don't have to be attached to my car or have it plugged in somewhere so literally it has saved me time and time again and if I can give like a piece of advice to um a novice PIO I would say invest in one they're probably like 50 60 bucks but it's worth it Absolutely. And in actual fact, one thing I had was a solar powered one. Uh, you can get those. And um, if that if you're stuck in the middle of nowhere, which I often was, a solar powered charger was just the, the best. And actually, I will say um, a little travel kit with toiletries um, and clean underwear. Um, I know it sounds silly, but <laughs> well, we'll fill your in, in, in uh, the UK does do a solar powered charger. Oh, can find moments maybe in July for three hours, but yes, it does work, honestly. Um, so um, I just want to say someone's asking about whether there'll be a recording. Yes, this will be, this is being recorded. It will be on YouTube and it will also be on our uh, podcast, um, which is new. So um, for anyone who has to go to an instant, as we probably will and have done, uh, yes, it will be available. So um, Matt, I just want to follow up from that. I mean, you were out in the field. What, what was your go-to? What did you never forget when you went out there? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that because obviously in the trunk of my car, uh, my patrol car, I had a lot of things, but I'm going to go a different direction. Uh, I think one of the most important things that I had in my toolbox and that I kept close was contact numbers for other PIOs, uh, folks that I trusted, uh, folks that I had a relationship with, um, not just a professional relationship, but they knew the way that we spoke. Uh, 
when I worked at Loudoun County Sheriff's Office and, and, and what our brand was, those PIOs at different agencies, they knew how I spoke. They knew how we liked to do things. And so when we had a critical event happen, and I'll use a line of duty death as an example, when I found myself grounding in responsibilities, uh, patrol responsibilities, PIO responsibilities, uh, being able to reach out to folks, uh, you know, hey, hey, Marion, I need you to do this for me, or Kim, can you do this for me? And those folks stepped right up. And so I think those are some some of the most important things to have in your back pocket is contacts of, of neighboring PIOs. Absolutely. And I would also, I always say whenever I'm uh, speaking to people, make sure you have laminated copies of them and don't rely on just electronic versions. So, um, yeah, I couldn't agree more. But um, Don has joined us, thankfully. We're so pleased to have you. Welcome. Um, Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us from uh, now. This is Donna Rossi. She's the Director of Communications for the Phoenix Police Department. Would you like to introduce yourself to our guests and attendees, please, Donna? Sure. You just did so. I'm the Director of Communications for the Phoenix Police Department, which uh, tantamount is equal to um, a civilian commander of the Public Affairs Bureau. Um, I have a pretty significant team here being the fifth largest city in the country, being part of MCCA and just a, it's a large agency. Um that consists of a, a lieutenant, several sergeant PIOs, social media team, uh, web web team, and uh, videographers, um, and an in-house reporter. So I've got quite a large team. We have our own studio and equipment, and we're pretty self-sufficient. We basically operate as uh, a combination of uh, a marketing PR firm and um, a news a newsroom, uh, and that that. Uh, is uh, tantamount to my background as well. Um, just in a nutshell, what I what I've been with Phoenix PD for the last uh, two years, um, and my background is uh, basically I've come full circle. When I was in my early twenties, which was not too long ago, <laughs> um, when I was in my early twenties, uh, I was a Phoenix cop for about four and a half five years. Sworn, um, I resigned to go to college, thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I ended up for the next 30 years in broadcast journalism. Um, and when I retired from television news, uh, I ended up back doing um, communications, this time on the inside to law enforcement. So that's my story. And um, it's an interesting combination that I bring to the table here and um, that I've learned from so many uh, communication directors and, and PIOs uh, from around the country. Thank you, Darren. And it's always interesting to me how people find themselves in this type of position because it's any kind of route that um, you'll sort of think about people's, I like to call it the genesis story uh, or origin story, I should say. So um, that's that's interesting. And, and you're quite unique in a way in that you are actually a um, civilian. And so it, for those who don't know, in contrast, in the UK, most um particularly law enforcement or public um, or emergency services are civilians, whereas here it's more that the um, warranted officers. So um, how do you find that? Is that a, a challenge for you? And, um, you know, working with um, officers, especially command team as a civilian? Yeah. Um, the interesting thing is in my position, um, I, I, obviously a lot, all civilians that are PIOs, and, and I know we have both sworn and civilian on uh, that are joining us today but um uh, i'm i'm in a supervisory role of sworn and some of and and some of rank you know lieutenant and and uh four sergeants i i i think 
the fact that I was once sworn and understand the culture and was on the inside does help. Um, the Phoenix Police Department, as well as other uh, large and small agencies around the country, are starting to realize that civilians really, you know, professional staff really have a place in police work. Um, that subject matter experts um, are probably better suited for certain positions than a sworn person who's come through the ranks. Now you're a commander uh, and, oh yeah, we're putting you in charge of IT or we're putting you in charge of uh, communications or we're putting you in charge of hiring. Why not hire a professional staff who is an SME in HR? Uh, so more and more police departments are doing that. So I think, um, and Phoenix is one of those. And I can tell you from experience having other civilian commanders uh, that are my equals overseeing other uh, departments in Phoenix, some find it easier than others. I have, I've had a very good experience. Um, my sergeants and lieutenants um, and officers um, respect my rank as a commander, uh, regardless of the fact that I'm a professional staff and not sworn. Mm. Not, and and others, not, others have not had that same experience. In the yes, and <laughs> I, th I think, um, and I want to stay with this subject a little bit for everyone because I'm sure we've all experienced this kind of has a badge, not a badge um, situation and how culture affects that. Um, and and I want to go to Matt and then Kendra, but Matt, do, I mean, do you see with people coming through FBI leader a difference in sworn and non-sworn and their attitudes and approaches to things? Yeah, you know, um, so in every class that we have, you know, 20 to 25 to 30 people, you can always guarantee that 50% uh, of the class may be sworn, 50% of the class is professional staff. Uh, I, I kind of look at it like, I joke and say to make a car, you've got to have an engineer and you've got to have somebody that can paint. And sometimes those two people can't do both jobs. And so what I think is, is valuable and, and this is kind of my stance on it when I'm asked, I think you have to know your community. And I think there, and just communications is very fluid. Uh, every crisis is a little different. Sometimes your community needs to see a uniformed officer on camera. And sometimes your community needs a really good subject matter expert that understands the value and, and uh, the benefits of good communications. Um, if, if it's done right and it's done well, it's a complement of each other, right? You've got passionate law enforcement officers who want to show what we're doing, who want to be storytellers, who want to help uh, bridge that gap. And you've got your professional staff who, who come from a media background or a journalism background uh, or a comms background, and they're able to say, hey, let's clean this up this way, or let me help you and let's proofread this. Like I said, if it's done right, uh, it's invaluable. Absolutely. And and Kendra, have you do you experience this in fire as well? As um, is it similar in terms of being a trusted advisor or having the respect that because of your background, um, whether you wear a uniform or not? Yeah, it's similar. Um, I think it's a little bit different just because of the cultures of you know the fire department. However, we our office um, face some of the same uh, kind of challenges. Uh, we have a small, very small our office compared to Donna. Um, I was a little jealous when she started talking about all the things that they have. Like, okay, um, and we have an office of two um, persons. Um, but my colleague came in as what the personnel considered was an outsider. He came directly from the news. And in his role there, he was 
sort of an investigative reporter who used to do stories about the fire department and what that looked like. And so there was a little bit of trust that had to be gained within the personnel. And if you're an outsider, someone external to the culture of what this looks like, you had to work hard to break down those barriers and let the personnel know that you're now one of them and I'm here to help you and highlight the work that you do. And we're on the same team. As for me, even though I wasn't necessarily fighting fires, I came from here. I am one of you already. And so I had a background in communications. I have a degree in that. I was already the thing that he was too, but I was from here already kind of enveloped in the culture of the fire department. And I didn't have those same struggles. And so it was a lot easier for me to assimilate to what they thought he wasn't doing, so to speak. But as Matt kind of said, um, the perspectives that we brought and as our communications office were different. He knew the schedules of the newsrooms. He knew what meetings they were having when we needed to pitch stories and pitch ideas. And he was in tune with that type of thing that I didn't necessarily have a handle on because I was enveloped in the culture of the fire department. And so together, we needed both sides to really make it work and effective for the messaging and our st strategic planning excuse me, that we had, um, you know, put together to push kind of our agenda for what we wanted our office to look like, to in essence highlight um, what the, the work that the men and women were doing. Mm -hmm. And that's it, isn't it? It's getting that balance and drawing from everyone's skills and expertise to really create a formed um, team, no matter whether you're two or 30. And I've worked in both being on my own and also having a team of 40 odd at one point and they're, you know, pluses and minuses for both and but what um donna perhaps you you'd speak to um one of the questions i get a lot is um from people who are trying to get their voice heard but don't feel that they are respected for what they do and this is something that you know is leadership skills that i think even no matter what um, position you're in or how early on you know further on you are in your career every pio should be developing leadership skills in one way or another but how do you you know see eye to eye or go toe to toe with you know the very top of the organization when they perhaps don't necessarily understand your role or your background or, or not even respect you for it oh we can't hear you <laughs> we've lost on we still can't hear no Sorry, we'll we'll just uh, let you get set while I'm just saying. I'm muted. Oh, there we go. Oh, okay. there you go. All right. Um, that is that is a, that is a challenge. I think at at any size agency. Um, I I think, um, the more progressive and forward thinking chiefs and executive staff uh, are on board and are starting to realize mm -hmm. um, that. Uh, those in communication and those in whatever your department is called, public affairs, PR, media relations, whatever it is, I think they're starting to realize that that person needs a place at the table. And that is the most important thing. I am a huge, huge proponent of saying that whoever the lead is in that particular unit that you have, whether it's a single PIO, whether it's a director of communication like myself and I have a whole team, that person, that lead person in that unit must have a table, a seat at the table of the executive team and must know what's going on and have a great relationship with the executive team. How do you get that? Uh, that's, you know, that's another story. I think you, I think you, 
you said you you have to make your your case. You have to basically make your case as to um, why communication is so important. Um, and there are there are several um, books that are out there, several guidelines um, that have been published by uh, IACP and different organizations that kind of state your case for you. If you need that, I'd certainly get you links to those or the names of them. I could post them on the, on the side, but uh, it's imperative that the executive team know that somebody needs to be at the table, somebody needs to know what's going on, and somebody needs to have a voice, even if it's just an advisory voice. They don't have to follow your advice, but at least you've said it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to give them advice, they're not going to follow it, and then somewhere down the road they're going to say, we should have followed your advice. That's going to give you money in the bank for the next time when you say, hey guys, mm -hmm. I think this is the way we need to handle this. And next time they'll give it a second thought because the first time they didn't. So you kind of you kind of are putting money in the bank for your own credibility. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that. I always like to consider myself an advisor, not a dictator. It's up to them at the end of the day if they take that advice. And then, you know, if they want to learn the hard way, absolutely. But you're not there to say, I told you so. And I think that that's something as you get older and maybe wiser, I can't apply that to myself, but you come to understand that a lot of the ways it's, you know, trying to... Uh, to get support, actually, particularly in this kind of environment, is uh, using data-driven, evidence-based stuff rather than emotion. I've learned the hard way that emotion does not work when you are trying to get people on your side um, in this this sort of environment. But um, absolutely, if I could just add one thing. If you, yes, of course. If you have a large executive team, or if you have you know uh, somebody on the executive team that gets it, make inroads with that person, and then they can kind of grease the wheels for you, if you will. Absolutely right. Um, trusted friends, um, uh, uh, it's so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Or on their way up to high places, maybe. Um, so then it's important probably to note that these guidelines that you mentioned, just because they're for law enforcement, it doesn't mean it can't be applied to any um, area of work because essentially it is all about politics. It is all about strategy. It's, it's understanding the way these things work. And so even if you don't feel like you can apply anything from law enforcement, if you work in the city, for example, or education, I I, I do believe that you can. There's all sorts that you can learn from all sorts of uh, sources. So, um, Matt, I, I, I kind of want to segue into like more about rank uh, crisis planning because obviously these relationships are important when it really, really matters. But what do you think, uh, and I'm going to ask everyone about this actually, what do you think is most important when you're preparing for a crisis? Because let's face it, if you say it's not going to happen here, it's likely to happen there. Um, it will always happen uh, to you, no matter how small or large. So how how can you prepare? Yeah, um, so I'm going to be very elementary in my response because I think it's one of the most um, important things you can do. If you want to prepare for a crisis, you've got to train for a crisis, right? And so what I mean by that is departments, and there's so many departments across the agency, there's a lot of big departments, but never forget that small agencies far outnumber the large agencies in this country. Um, recently, when I was teaching um, in another state, I had a chief and a sheriff from a community that had a very high profile event occur, uh, one that we're all familiar with, and I won't name specifically. But I was very, um, I was very humbled by the story um, that they shared with our class. Uh, the sheriff and the chief, who were all over the national news, uh, were in our class because they realized that they needed the training. They, they, 
in, in 30 years of law enforcement, they never put communications as a top priority until this event happened. And they realized how important it was. And it was also one of their downfalls. It was their learning, it was a learning uh, moment. And so I tell people like the very first thing you can do to prepare for a crisis, especially if I'm talking to a chief or a sheriff or a colonel of a state agency, is you've got to invest in the professional development of someone that you trust that can go and, and obtain the training, build the contacts, gain that knowledge so that when you have that incident occur, you've got that trusted source of information that is helping you. Uh, as my great mentor, G.D. Powell said and, and taught me years ago, if it is important enough that the chief or the sheriff has that in-house counsel or that legal counsel sitting across from them, at the very same moment, they should be thinking that their communications advisor should be sitting there as well. Um, the 40 years ago, uh, we may have worried about liabilities. 30 years ago, we worried about just liabilities and, and, the, and the attorneys and the legal staff took care of that. With social media and the way it is today and how a crisis goes international in just a few minutes, uh, how the community perceives what we do is huge. And so if we think liability, we, we have to be thinking communications at the same point. How do we target and reach and talk to our audiences of those that are affected by this crisis? Again, I think that professional development uh, is the key to preparing for a crisis. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure we would all agree with that. I mean, Kendra, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, from the fire department perspective and really from like a city response perspective, um, and it goes in the hand along the lines of training, we treat uh, everyday responses as if they were the large responses. Um, so every time that there is what we would consider a normal or regular response, we respond with the level of excellence and to a high standard. And it's almost like we're practicing for the performance of the large scale incident because that is our practice. Um, we never wish that there is going to be another one, another big one, right? But we know that it's coming. We know that those times are going to happen uh, and you don't get to practice for the bombings and you don't get to practice for the mass shootings, but guess what? They're happening. And and by practice, I mean the real-time practice because, yes, we do the trainings and we do the scenario-based things, but the energy and the pressure and all of that, it's not the same. Let me let me just tell you, it, it doesn't feel the same, but you can mimic those moments and the stress and the pressure and the chaos and the environment when you are responding to the incidents that you actually respond to. So when you're doing that, you put yourself in that space of, okay, here I am. What steps do I need to take? Let me go ahead and implement those steps as if this was escalated on 10 times scale. And those are the moments where we get to put into practice what we have trained for, what we've learned. And then when you do have the larger scale incident, you've already done it. And it's it becomes second nature to you. You're not as nervous. You're not as clammed up because you're like, I got this. I did this for a house fire. I did this for the MBA that had five people. And now it's not an MBA. It's just a different scenario. And we've got different people. But I can get that out of my mind because I've done this and you can get yourself out of the way and you can just put your practice into just implementing what you're doing because you've done it. And those are the times where I really sit back and think, you know, how did I get through that? Well, because 
you've been doing it. And that's when you have to also give yourself a lot of grace and a lot of credit and not be so critical because we do that a lot as communication is kind of persons and specialists. We're very critical of ourselves. But what we need to do is give ourselves some credit um, because you know, you're doing it. You're already doing it. So yes, we do need to add, you know, those layers of things where we could, we could always do something better, but we've been pushing along and we've been uh, elevating our departments and our agencies. And we're only going to do that, you know, better when the next thing comes along. So that's, that's kind of my two cents on it. You made a really good point there, actually, Kendra, around stress, because, um, you know, you can't underestimate the physiological response to this. You can train and train and train, but it, only you know that when how you will react under stressful circumstances. Some people shut down and they're just, you know, so focused. Other people panic and go and cry in the toilet. Um, you know, it's it <laughs> not all the time, but I think and that's where the, the the preparation certainly supports you. And, you know, I always say an Olympic sprinter gets judged in eight seconds, but has trained for eight years. You know, and and that putting those frameworks into place that will support you when you are starting to feel the bile rise up and feel the sickness in the stomach, because we are only human and we can't overcome that. Um, you know, but the practice, knowing what to expect, taking the fear out of it, I think is, is important because, you know, as much as I, people say to, you know, it's very chaotic working in emergency services, actually a lot of incidents are incredibly predictable and we have a framework for that chaos to exist. So, um, so yeah, it's anticipating that you will not be the person you are in an exercise, um, is the, is the key and, and recognizing that the response, the fight or flight in you that will help you overcome that. I think, um, it's quite a shock when it first comes along and it actually can be quite addictive. So uh, you gotta be careful of that as well. But, um, I mean, Donna, you must have had your fair share of, uh, of, of, you know, significant events. Um, and I'm interested in how you prepare yourself and your team um, prior to and during. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Still? Yes. Okay. A couple of things when it comes to, to, to crises is um, uh, I think it's important, you know, a lot of even organizations, companies, large, large scale companies and, and, and agencies, um, the, the key to, you know, crisis communication is, first of all, realizing you're in a crisis. I think sometimes something happens and then we think it's going to blow over or it's not going to escalate to anything. So realize the potential for a crisis in in, in what happens. Um, I am, uh, uh, you know, easy, easy to say it's hard to put together, but uh, I'm a big proponent of putting together a crisis communication plan. Um, and so that kind of... Um, dictates the roles that people will have, who's on the crisis team, what roles they will play, um, and, you know, when to pull the trigger uh, on on implementing that. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of uh, whatever you want to call them, holding statements, uh, pre-planned statements. Um, I know FBI Lita teaches and, and, and the predecessor of FBI Lita teaches CAP statements, um, care action and uh, perspective. Uh, I'm a huge fan of them. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we have a whole list, uh, in our, in our toolbox, in our toolkit, if you will, Christine, <laughs> in our PIO toolkit, um, with these holding statements, um, and, um, you know, ready to go and tweak at any particular time when we have, when we have something. So that's, uh, that's how, you know, we prepare, um, and, 
you know, I think, um, again, uh, part of preparing for a crisis happens long before a crisis occurs. Everything, you know, again, I'll use the analogy of bank, everything, every time you put money in the bank, uh, when it comes to pushing out a good story that your agency is doing or making a social media post that shows what you're doing to keep the community safe, building the trust in the community is in effect preparing for a crisis. Uh, because then when you speak, um, they're going to listen, they're going to trust you. So everything you do leading up to any crisis, everything you do positive uh, on social, positive in the media, positive uh, for your agency, everything you do is, you know, adding adding things to that bank so that when crisis occurs, um, you've already gained that trust. Absolutely. And um, community engagement is certainly getting bigger and bigger. And I'm, I'm so pleased to see that. I know in the start of my career, I wasn't allowed to go near an emergency or a crisis unless I'd done a good few years in community engagement, which I thought at the time was the boring stuff. And then I wanted things to like fall over and explode. But uh, soon regret that once I started moving to there. But um, they are two different disciplines that actually support each other, I feel. So and and on that community um, aspect, um, Matt, I want to talk, you mentioned community earlier and we've had a question from Jason um, and he's a social scientist. Uh, so I love this question. So how often do PIOs get out or how, what's the methodology behind PIOs getting out into the community, learning about them so that, you know, they can, they can work on those relationships to, to better develop communication? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, and I say it's hard because... I think every agency is so unique, every um, department, organization uh, in size. Uh, so you talk about, um, for example, when I go back to the class, if, if I have 25 students, uh, I usually have five that, that is their exclusive job. The other 20 uh, balance many jobs. You know, they're a patrol commander or they're over a CID um, and, and they've been tasked with this. So I think that it goes back to kind of what your responsibilities are and how much time you have. Now, in a perfect world, how important is it? It's very important because that person uh, bridges that gap. You're you're kind of the PR face uh, of your department. You're you're going out building those relationships in the community where, uh, in the past, maybe some of your other colleagues haven't thought about building. You know, if you serve a demographic that has a large Hispanic population, are you getting out into the community and going to some of your events and trying to bridge that gap? Right? We serve a community. Our communities are really diverse. Uh, and I say a lot of times we do a great job, uh, for years, we've done a great job in PR when we, uh, to the average white Christian, uh, Southern Baptist, if you're in Tennessee kind of, uh, audience member, but our communities are made up of people of a lot of demographics. So we've got to do a good job in getting out into the different cultures and, and different groups in our communities. Uh, and that's really important for the PO. You can't, uh, I will tell everyone. An effective PO does not sit in an office. An effective PO does not just write news releases from behind a computer screen. An effective PO knows their community. Uh, they're also out with other PIOs. You know, with Kendra being at the fire department, the first thing I think of is if I was Nashville Police Department's PO, I'm going to have such a close and tight relationship with Kendra. We're going to go to lunch all the time. And we're going to go to lunch with Murfreesboro and with Wilson County and, and with all our surrounding neighbors because at the end of the day, we our audiences stretch out to regions now a lot. And so we really do serve a lot of the same types of communities. Uh, and then in, in a crisis, again, we rely on each other. So as a PO, my biggest advice was it would get out. Um, know your people in your community and know uh, your other PO's. 
Absolutely. I think also the considering um, your internal community as well, I, I would make a point of spending time at every single police station. I would go to every department and then they're going to be your, your I sort of content. Up, because that was actually on my little list here. Um, when, of course, I came from the sworn side. So when, and I did find myself as a PO really on accident. Um, I, I enjoyed writing and I took good pictures and that's how I first got approached with it. Uh, over 10 years ago and certainly best thing that ever happened to me because it's one of my greatest passions but when i first entered law enforcement i never imagined the po I, swat canine crash reconstruction motor officer all these things that that i had in mind uh and and towards the end of my career this took place and, and i see the value in it so much but i'll tell you what really helped my success was having internal relationships with people that trusted me they trusted me to tell their story um, and so whether you're sworn or not, uh, the internal relationships, and I'm not talking, you've got to have the, that with the executive command staff. Don't forget your slick sleeves, as we call them. Don't forget the men and women working the streets that don't have rank on their shoulder or a bar on their collar. Those are the people that are really representing with the men day in and day out. And if you want them to buy into what we're doing from a communication standpoint, they've got to know that you understand what Matt, I'm sorry, but in all my time in Texas, I've never heard what slick sleeves is. Could you please explain <laughs> what that southern, well, quite yeah, possibly southern super, saying is? Yeah, supervisors usually have a rank on their shoulder or on their bars. We call it a slick sleeve. So uh, I got to back to the UK. Feel free to market it. You can have yeah. it. Oh, well, you can have this one if, if it's uh, someone of rank, uh, they have scrambled egg on their hat or their shoulders. So there you go. Anyway, it's a cultural exchange. Um, Kendra, how are, I mean, community engagement is vital for what you, I mean, this is yeah. public safety and what you do. I'm sure this must be core to what you do. Yeah, so um, here in Nashville and at the fire department specifically, Matt uh, almost summed up a little bit. Uh, what my job is, so at the fire department, um, unlike a lot of law enforcement agencies, and again, back to Donna when she was naming off all of their positions, we don't get budgets. We don't have money. We don't get we don't get a lot of things, but we have to fill in a lot of gaps. So my title is public information officer and community services officer. Literally, I carry that title. And you already said for one department, the fire department and the Office of Emergency Management. So for two different departments, I do two titles. It's all things. So with the community um, services part. First, I started a nonprofit for the fire department, and it's called the Blaze Mentoring Program. And we go to high schools and we do a, a lot of things, including we've given away $17,000 in scholarships to graduating seniors who are in the public school system, because that was a mission of ours to reconnect with like students who are in our uh, local community, because that was a gap that existed for the fire department. Everybody sees law enforcement and they're going out and doing community policing. But when you think of the fire department, it's like you don't make that as a connection, right? So we saw that as a gap and we were like, how can we fix that? Well, Kendra, here you go. Go and do this, uh, you know, thing to kind of bridge that gap, right? So that's what we did. Started Literally started a a program for that, which is a separate nonprofit. Um, in addition to that, we're responsible for doing things like show and tells, which have our fire department personnel go. And while they're on duty, they take the engines and they say, hey, we're going to go to a school today and we're going to show off the engine and tell people about fire safety and that kind of thing. 
that's a whole separate thing, but we have to coordinate the logistics of that. And while we're doing that, we're also seeing where are those neighborhoods at? Is there some extra education about what um, fires may be going on in that specific community that we need to connect them with so we can have fire prevention there? Because we noticed that there were also five fires there. And why is that? Because Nashville's a melting pot. And we have a specific group that may have been brought here and now they are using certain cultural kitchen equipment where they're cooking on the floor instead of actually using their stove because nobody ever taught them that. And so now we have to go do some special education because that's a way that we're getting to learn the community. And now we're also noticing that in this part of town, you know, nobody speaks English. So we need to use a special feature to translate our press releases because that is something that even though we're pushing information and pushing it, they're not getting it because they don't speak English. And now we're having to use our community partners who have, you you know, um, radio channels for that uh, community. And now we're going to do interviews. And even though my interview may look silly because all I'm doing is smiling and nodding because I don't understand anything they're saying. They don't understand me, but they they can get it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and they're going to translate on the spot. That's even how we do interviews on the scene sometimes. Because if they're going to come, I'm going to give it to them. And I don't know if they're getting it, but we're going to smile and nod and let them translate. We're doing all of those types of things. So when we're talking about, you know, community engagement, it's a one-stop shop. And we're going as far as we can, um, you know, until we can continue to find something else that our community may need and we'll just continue to adapt. But when you're talking about the PIO having to be the link in that piece, absolutely. That is our role a thousand percent because if there's a need with that we have to one identify the need and then figure out the resources to bridge that gap so that everybody in our community feels like they get what they need from us and if we can't fill the gap or find the resource we just have to be able to figure out who has the resource and then make that resource available Mm -hmm. so in Nashville we're working triple time and most of the time that means I'm working triple time. And that's why it's so important as a PIO too, that you don't forget about the part to take care of yourself. Um, Because you always, you're having to give so much because you're always looking for ways to make sure that everybody else is taken care of and that you are always bridging gaps that sometimes the gap, the bridge that's coming back here, that thing has been collapsed for who knows how long. So we have to make sure that we're continuing to build ourselves back up so we can do our best jobs. Yeah, okay. I think, um, thank you. I think that, yeah, you make a good point. Being all things to all people all the time is exhausting. So uh, that's me telling everyone with my pointy stick to just look after yourself. But um, you, you talk about how you have to adapt. And I mean, creative problem solving is just such a key skill of the PIO um, especially when you've got no budget uh, no resources and uh, no uh, in energy or enthusiasm uh, sometimes it can be hard to muster that and um, I want to just share a resource that I love that will probably help people in community engagement this website that I'm going to put in the chat um, this is Data USA website and essentially you can get any kind of demographic on here um, that for a particular town area and can compare things and I do share this with people and they get so excited because it's free and you can look at your community really granular level so I'm just sharing that to everyone um, but thank you Kendra for that great answer and um, Donna I want to ask you you've got like what 1.6 million maybe in Phoenix um, I mean I know from working in London that how on earth you look at it and like how do you deal how do you how do you break down so many different communities with so many different challenges they're also hard to reach there are unseen communities what 
what do you do? What's your strategy around? Do you do you have a full stakeholder analysis of of your population, or how do you get to those communities? Yeah, you know, it's it's no matter how many platforms you use or how many avenues of communication, people say they don't know what's going on. That's both internally and externally. You know, our officers say we don't know anything yet. You know, we've got newsletters, we've got emails, we've got you know websites, we everything. So it it is a challenge. Um, uh, obviously, we have a very large Hispanic community here in Phoenix, about close to forty percent now. Um, you know, we do have a a, a, a separate you know Spanish uh, X uh, forum that we utilize. Um, we utilize uh, social media. We utilize um, you know newsletters. Each each of our precincts. Uh, which helps to localize each of our precincts. Um, I'm sure many of you have been asked by, you know, your different um, units or bureaus in your department, you know, the SWAT team, they want their own Facebook page or somebody wants their own Facebook page. Obviously, cities are never going to allow that. So we utilize our our Nextdoor application mm -hmm. um, and allow um, the community action officers in each of those precincts to have access to that uh, Nextdoor neighborhood area. And that's how we localize our things. So if something's happening in a particular area that we need to communicate to, um, we utilize that, uh, which is a nice, handy, dandy thing. You can have 2 million followers on Facebook, and the reality is they can be from anywhere. But your next door folks are your people. They have to live in that neighborhood. So we utilize that when it comes to localizing messaging uh, and the community action officers, which... Uh, relates to the question you asked earlier about how do you get out the community. Our community action officers are those officers that are actually working in in the trenches, in those community meetings, uh, and out in the field making making those contacts with the community leaders. Um, so we utilize that. Uh, we, you know, a lot of times we'll have um, what I call speed dating with the media. Um, you know, we'll set up, uh, we'll set up, um, we'll already set up our two shot. And we'll have, you know, the chief come in, he'll be mic'd, we'll, we'll run it to a malt box. So all the, you know, different stations have 15 minutes and all they do is come in uh, either with video camera or, or uh, re recording devices and, you know, they plug and play and it's ready to go. And we'll give them opportunity to talk to the chief about anything they want or a specialized topic. So that helps get our chief out there and that helps talk to the community uh, and get, get messages out there. Uh, we also have two very active uh, Spanish-speaking stations here, Univision and Telemundo, uh, and we do regular appearances on, on both of those. So uh, we're out and about a lot. Mm, sounds quite busy. If you need any help, I'm sure you've got some people here who'd like to come and work with you. Um, but I, I think one thing I want to sort of add to that everyone has said is also not to forget invisible communities. And this is where your internal audiences are really important who can tell you about these invisible communities. And I use um, an example of sex workers, for example, in the nighttime economy, where um, I've dealt with, you know, spates of robberies and, and assaults. And I didn't even consider, because I'm not one, um, that this would be something we needed to work to build trust in um, with that community. And there are other invisible communities that I think we see each, see our 
our world through our own prism, our own lens, and forgetting that there are other people who have completely different lived experience. And and I think sometimes it's worth just asking about and seeing what's coming up with people that are out there who are doing the job, who aren't necessarily sat in an office that are, you know, seeing things at three o'clock in the morning on a Friday that you wouldn't get to see maybe. So it's just a sort of a, I mean, London is a melting pot. Uh, we used to regularly convert, uh, translate into 18 different languages. Um, so uh, that was expensive and time consuming but it was absolutely vital so um phyllis is asking actually is there where is there a website to convert releases into spanish i mean i know ai is coming on a long way but there are flaws in online stuff would anyone have any good recommendations there are flaws <laughs> yeah but we already uh, we sometimes use google translate and then bring it to to two native speakers to to review just because um, it's, it's not perfect. Andrew, the software, you... our, um, the software that our Nashville.gov, so our web, our, um, internal, I don't know, website, wherever that's housed, it, it has a service on it where actually at the bottom, if we post any release on that website, it will translate into, I think, 27 different, um, languages automatically so um i can ask them what they use through our metro its service but um it's just automatically just on there at the bottom and whoever's looking at it can translate it i think in a pinch um and if I think if you are transparent about the fact that you're using online translator until you can get someone, I think that it's all about transparency. It's like we haven't got the resources, but we're doing our best. So this is what we can do for you. But in the meantime, take this and we'll sort it out, um, especially if you have a, an instant whereby it's something to do with um, like the migrant workers in San Antonio, for example, if you've got, you know, um, I know in the we were dealing with a job with um, people in the Philippines who were had all died being um immigration issue we didn't even know those they were filipino until um identification and we did had we just had no filipino speakers at all so um it's challenging you have to work quick time um but yes i think we've come a long way from language line where you'd have to call up and hold the phone to someone and do that so um but um i just want to move we've only got not even 10 minutes left so i want a quick um i'm going to take this from uh matt actually kevin's asking what's the best way to ensure the uh, person of a crisis stays on point and leads the discussion of being instead of being led apart from a stick oh question popped up and i was hoping i wouldn't get it um you know, I'm, I'm going to use a personal experience as an example. I think ideally we always want to make sure that our chief, our sheriff, our executive director, um, whoever that might be, is is shown, is that face in a time of crisis. Uh, I think you have to be careful, though, about thinking that you can always make that happen. And I think that's also why it's important to have several different people trained uh, on how to do a proper interview and how to do the message release uh, because... Uh, I'll use an example, um, out of Colorado a few years ago, uh, there was a line of duty death and, uh, there was a couple of news conferences announced and, and they were a little delayed. And then the question was like, why is the chief not here? Why is, why is she not doing this news conference? Uh, and then finally, uh, a number of her command staff did it. Uh, and that's one of the resignating questions. Why was she not there? Well, the reality was she was with the family trying to do the death notification because that was more important to her, which, and I respect that. Uh, when we had a line of duty death last year, our sheriff was very close with our fallen officer and that family. 
And so while ideally on our checkbox, right, my match checkbox said get the sheriff in front of the camera to do this announcement, the reality was our sheriff was with that family because that was very important to him and, and very important to that family. And so uh, myself and a couple other members of the, uh, of the leadership team had to do that. You have to ask yourself um, at that moment, what's appropriate? Right. Hopefully the chief or the sheriff or the, the fire chief or the EMA director can be the one that does that. But just remember, don't get hung up on thinking that it has to happen every time. You, every crisis is a little different uh, and what's uh, priorities change. Uh, and so make sure I would tell you just to make sure that you have several people that are capable of delivering the right kind of message at the right time. Absolutely. And I think there's this assumption that just because someone's a leader, that they're going to be a good speaker. Um in fact, they think they might be, but then the minute they see a camera, they just kind of... One of the biggest things that we're seeing now at FBI Lead, and I think it's really neat, uh, is that when this program was launched uh, a few decades ago um, with Judy and Eric, I think a lot of times it was marketed right towards the uh, uh, emergency services PIO, the government PIO. Uh, we're starting to see probably half of our class is law enforcement leaders, uh, EMA directors, fire chiefs, because now more than ever, they understand like, I also have to know how to speak. I need to know how to identify my audiences. So it's, it's we're setting that agency up for success, and we're also setting up that leadership for success. And um, Kendra, would you, I mean, my thought is that it has to be someone who resonates with the audience. Just because they're in charge, it doesn't mean they matter to someone. Uh, I mean, what, what would your advice be around uh, getting someone to stay on point if they're the right person? Yeah, I mean, like as Matt said, you want to make sure that it's something that you guys have practiced, um, especially if they're not doing it all the time, that they do have a sense of comfortability with uh, not only being in front of the camera, but it being in front of a group of cameras, uh, being in front of a group of people who are going to be asking them um, considerably hard or difficult questions, um, and then also maintaining their composure, um, which is a, a difficult thing and something that that definitely needs to be practiced. Um, but then also the relationship between you and that person, because as the PIO, even if you're not going to be on camera answering those questions, you're still in the room and you still have to have a presence in that space. You still have to also outline boundaries for what that looks like. And you and whoever that speaker are need to have a conversation about what that looks like. They need to know what those boundaries are and that you are there for them and also their comfort level. And that doesn't mean that if it gets uncomfortable that they get, you know, a get out of jail free card, so to speak, but that you will be there to have their back in essence and you are there for them. And so we um, here, like me and my chief, we're step in step and he knows I'm going to be in the back of the room. We always kind of maintain contact. Uh, he knows that if he's going off the rails i'm giving him a, sig a signal get get it back together light it up you're going off you're being a deacon or a preacher you sounding crazy like we have signals and you have to be in step with them so that you guys know that because at the end of the day you don't want them looking crazy or sounding crazy because they're representing the department mm -hmm. and, and that's your job you're the keeper of the brand it's not about them it's not about you it's not about him 
It's about the department. And so you have to make sure that they're on point. And it's it's part of your job to lead them and be like, uh-uh, don't say that. Come on, come on back in. And if they need to wrap it up, you need to tell them, okay, let's, let's get it together. So that's part of it as well, is making sure that you have that comfort level with them. And your conversation needs to be with them. Hey, this is what we're doing. If it starts to go this way, I'm going to give you this. And that they need to be comfortable with you kind of pulling their coats on saying, um, and, and let's get it going. So many good points. And unfortunately, on that note, we are going to have to wrap up. Do you like what I did there? Um, we've got three, four minutes left. And I just firstly want to say thank you so much. I think we've all learned a lot. I know I have. I always do. Um, but I want to go to each and every one of you. So we've actually had another question about um, groups uh, to join for a new PIO um, asking, um, you know, uh, Yasmin, first time PIO, what are the must-go organizations or groups that you recommend? So if each one of you could give me one suggestion and then your words of wisdom. Uh, Donna, I'm going to start with you because, uh, I mean, you've got loads of words of wisdom, but some ca- encapsulate them and your recommended group or organization. Sure. Uh, training. Uh, FBI Leland has great training. Uh, Julie Park Communications has great training. Judy Powell has great training. Groups. Um the GSM Con is a very good group, uh, but uh, but if you're law enforcement, then I would suggest IACP um, PIO section. IACP PIO section also has a mid-year conference that has some very good uh, hour-long, just little seminars every uh, every hour. It's a two-and-a-half-day conference, excellent conference. Um, as far as uh, words of wisdom, um, this is part of it right here. Being on Zoom meetings like this, seeing other names, other faces, sharing emails, and having anybody that you can call in the middle of the night when shit hits the fan, pardon me, but having people that you can call who have been there, who have done that. I put my email address and my phone number uh, in the in the uh, side of uh, the chat. Um, feel free to reach out. Um, I I did so when I was a new PIO, and, um, and it's invaluable. So, so to have those people that you can reach out, and I still do. Uh, there's a lot I learned from PIOs who are one-man bands in small agencies. Um, and then as far as the, just quickly, the how do you keep your person on, on point? Uh, I talked about having uh, holding statements for crisis. Uh, before you go out and do any kind of interview, you should have a statement, and it should include your points of what you want to talk about. Uh, I use and I give to all my executives a sheet of paper that has what I call bridging statements. Uh, and it's just a list of bridging statements. And anytime somebody's getting off topic, you use one of those bridging statements to bring it right back to the talking points that you want to get to. Happy to share that with the group. Thank you, Donna. Thank you so much for your time. I know uh, you're super busy, so this is greatly appreciated. Matt, over to you. Yeah, so I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, appreciate Donna's FBI leader shout out, right? Um, but she's also right too, and I'm not—I'm uh, the first one to tell everyone that there is a lot of different platforms that offer training. Uh, my success as a police officer came from instructors of many different levels and many different organizations. So I tell people, take FBI leader. Our, our, our media and public relations, our basic course is amazing. It is a, you'll be drinking through a fire hose of information. We have our master PO, uh, which really focuses on how do you take your agency's leader, uh, take their uh, goals and missions for the agency and help put that out uh, in a long-term strategic communications plans. Uh, the University of Tennessee, they've started a program. I'm, I'm a big fan of their folks that work there. They're doing a lot of stuff to help local POs. There's another platform, FEMA, um, Judy Powell's 10A Communication. There's so many out there. 
don't just take one. Take as many as you can. I think we all offer a little bit of different insight. Uh, the one thing that I'm uh, very proud of with FBLE is we have a lot of great instructors who have a, about 100 years of a law enforcement piano experience. Uh, and that really is valuable. Um, the other thing that I want to say is I think NLA is amazing uh, for networking. Um, as simple as it sounds, I, I tell people a success is about maybe 40% of what you know, 60% of who you know. Uh, and in the PI world, I found out a long time ago, even on LinkedIn, if you start joining some of the groups, you put something out there, there's always somebody that's willing to help you uh, achieve your mission or, 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 or get over that next hurdle that you're dealing with. Uh, for those that are watching, if they're new, I certainly know that I'm more than willing. Please follow my LinkedIn, uh, reach out. Uh, we have about 30 or 40 classes scheduled next year for 2024. Uh, so if you're looking for training, I can help you find that as well. Right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Kendra, what do you recommend? Yes, going last is the worst because they've said all of the great recommendations, but I definitely agree with everything um, that they said. The FEMA courses are are self-paced. Uh, there are a lot of free self-paced uh, FEMA courses that you can take. FBI Lita, definitely I co-sign all of those things. Um, my my words of wisdom, oh, and definitely NIOA, uh, if there's anybody that is in the Southeast region, I am your regional director. Hey, region for people, um, as of a couple of weeks ago. So uh, definitely NIOA for networking and um, all the great things. So join all of those. GSM, as Donna mentioned earlier, is also just a very great uh, conference. So uh, yes. All of the things. Um, my words of wisdom, uh, I think I'm going to have two because uh, I like to just give little nuggets, nuggets where I can, especially for um, the ones of us that might be a little more hard-headed. Um, so uh, take help. Take help and assistance and uh, lean on others, especially others who are kind of in this unique trench with you. Um, that is my my first little nugget. The other nugget is find your people. Um, these organizations, these classes and courses are going to literally link you with the people who know what it's like to do this work. And I will just tell you, after experiencing um, what I did with the mass shooting at the Covenant School earlier this year, it was then that I really, really learned that I needed to identify who my people was because that's when I reached a breaking point after I thought that I was like the strong one that wouldn't reach a point. And it was at a at that incident where I literally couldn't type another email. And I had to reach out to a person and say, hey, can you type an email for me that I have to send internally. And it was the simplest of emails and somebody in my circle of PIOs literally typed out a, a four sentence email for me and it took off the weight of the world. And it's little things like that that you don't know that you need until you find a circle of PIOs that you can trust who just get it. And you don't have to explain, you don't have to say much, but they get it. So find your people, connect with your people and literally lean on them when you have PIO things happening. Um, so those are my words of wisdom. I'm also going to put my things in the chat. Uh, I'm not on LinkedIn as often, but I will check it if you message me, but I'm going to put my other things in the chat. So it's been 
Kendra, thank you. That's so, you know, you've made really good points about mental health and well-being, something I'm really passionate about. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to do my little bits, actually. I'm going to put some links in. There's my book, The Frontline Communicator, which talks about mental health, all the mistakes I've made, all my experiences, tips and what have you. Um, we've also just relaunched our job board for PIOs. So I'll put that in the chat as well. I'm going to be speaking at the UT Crisis Comms Symposium um, with Nelly Miles, Judy Powell, and Ashley um, who, <laughs> McDonald, um, sorry, I'm just having a mind moment there. Um, and I think, oh, we also have a chat GPT learn along, which has been so much fun. So if you want to get hold of that, have a look. Um, I'm putting those in right now, but everyone knows me. You can get hold of me on uh, LinkedIn and um, reach out anytime. I've made a lot of great friends all over the country, which has been amazing. I'm so glad to see you all sharing your details and supporting each other. It is absolutely crucial. Again, Thank you, Donna Rossi, Kendra Loney, Matt Fagiani. I am so grateful for you sharing your expertise with everyone here. So thanks everyone for showing up. I uh, really appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you all again soon, either in person or online. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.